the documentary hypothesis makes it impossible to understand Genesis 1 to 4 in a theologically adequate way. Genesis 2 in this logic is the eighth day when God hands over uh, his work into the hands of uh, human beings. I think uh, we must learn again to see not only what is in the text, but also what is implicitly in the text. Hey everyone, this is What's Your Pastor Didn't Tell You. Today I'm on with Dr. Benjamin Kilker. I'm not pronouncing that right, but it's also apparently not possible for me to pronounce it right. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Genesis 1 to 3 and how it mirrors the priestly sanctuary of the tabernacle in Exodus. Uh, Dr. Kilker, how are you doing today? And uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I'm fine, thank you. It's a pleasure. To be here, thank you for the invitation. <laughs> so uh, you asked me to say something about me. Did I understand it right? Yes. Um, yeah, so um, yeah. yes, um, I'm uh, from Switzerland. Uh, I did some uh, uh, um, studies in uh, German language and literature. I think on a bachelor level, this might be undergraduate, or I, I'm not sure how you call call it. And then I uh, moved to theology and I started uh, theology in Basel in Switzerland and also in uh, Leuven in Belgium. And in Leuven, I did my uh, MTH and also then my PhD, my, my doctoral studies. Uh, I wrote a dissertation about uh, Deuteronomy, about the legal hermeneutics of Deuteronomy. Um, afterwards, I did an uh, internship in the uh, Reformed Church of Zurich, the Church of Zwingli and Bullinger, and uh, was ordained as a minister in the Reformed Church in Zurich. And uh, then I was um, uh, appointed as an assistant professor in Basel at the Staatsunabhängige Theologische Hochschule, State Independent Theological University, something like this, um, with a tenor track. And I uh, finished the tenor track in uh, 2020 and was then appointed as a full professor. So I'm now teaching Old Testament as a full professor in Basel for two years. Awesome. Now, can you pronounce your last name for those listening? Uh, Kilchur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't pronounce that. Okay. In Swiss German, yes. <laughs> even, the, even the Germans cannot pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Only the Swiss people. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So you wrote a paper, and it was actually just submitted. Uh, can you talk about um, just the a, a summary of uh, you know what you're planning on arguing today? Uh, yes. Uh, basically, I argue that the four chapters of Genesis uh, one uh, to four the first four chapters of the Bible, that they form uh, something like a theological, liturgical uh, uh, context that has a parallel in the construction and in the worship of the tabernacle. So um, uh, basically, I, I argue that uh, Genesis 1 has a correspondence to the Holy of Holies, where the glory of God um, appears. Uh, uh, creates uh, and and uh, also sanctifies uh, in some sense the the creation in Genesis two um, the 
uh, and the chamber, the, the holy uh, room is built by the Garden of Eden with the tree in it, uh, which corresponds um, uh, to the menorah, the, the seven-armed um, light. And uh, Genesis 3, then, in Genesis 3, when uh, Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden, uh, they come to the place, um, to the outer court or to the courtyard in the in the tabernacle, the place of death, and uh, Cain and Ab uh, Cain and Abel um, uh, bring there the, the first sacrifice, and the the courtyard is also the place where the altar is in the tabernacle. So we have the different uh, rooms that correspond uh, to the. Uh, the rooms of creation or the chapters of creation that corresponds to the uh, rooms uh, of the tabernacle. And this has implications, uh, something about an eighth day. So Genesis 2 is an eighth day. Can you talk about that? Um, yes. Um, uh, both on uh, Mount Sinai and also in the tabernacle, uh, even in the Solomonic temple and uh, later on in the Ezekiel Temple, Ezekiel 40 to 48, it is always the case that um, the uh, uh, first the sanctuary is uh, completely filled with the glory of God for seven days. And on the end, eighth day, uh, God hands over uh, the work that he has begun to the priests, uh, to the people. And uh, liturgically, this means that on the eighth day, uh, the priests begin uh, the service uh, in the sanctuary. Uh, and for example, in uh, Leviticus 9, Moses and Aaron can only enter the tabernacle um, for the first time after uh, seven days of consecration. And if we now understand um, Genesis 1 as the creation and consecration of the earth as the place where God's glory is to dwell, then the question arises um, as to what kind of worship takes place in this sanctuary. So we have the, 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 the building and the consecration of the sanctuary for seven days, but what does then happen? And the answer is that God creates Adam and Eve uh, in his image to represent his glory uh, and uh, he places then uh, the first uh, human beings in the Garden of Eden uh, to perform uh, priestly service there. And uh, Genesis 2 in this logic is the eighth day when God hands over uh, his work into the hands of uh, human beings uh, to continue it as his uh, representatives. And uh, um, maybe I can also say something. Um, uh, this... Uh, uh, interpretation has also some implications for the so-called documentary hypothesis, um, uh, where uh, Genesis 1 is attributed to the so-called um, priestly source uh, named P, while uh, Genesis 2 to 4 are attributed to a non-priestly or Yahwistic source, because God is called uh, Elohim in the first chapter, he's called Yahweh in chapters 2 to 4. And the liturgical connection between uh, uh, the consecration of the sanctuary, the tabernacle, and the installation of the priest for regular worship um, is then torn apart. And uh, uh, the, the, the documentary hypothesis makes it impossible uh, uh, to understand Genesis 1 to 4 in a theologically adequate way, I 
adequate way, I, I think, because uh, they are uh, um, just um, exegetically interpreted, uh, uh, um, distinct from each other, and then the, the, the relationships uh, cannot be seen. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay, so obviously scholarship has talked a lot about the parallels between Genesis 1 and, you know, the Exodus and the Tabernacle, and they've talked some about Genesis 2 and 3. Um, can you talk about what they usually say about it? Like, what are their typical views? You know, some people say that there's no parallels, and some people think that there is, like, you know, John Walton. Um, can you talk about the typical views that people take on that? Um, the standard view for the last uh, 200 years or so um, is that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and three, or we can also say two to four, if we include the Cain and the Abel uh, narrative. Uh, the, the standard view is that they originally had nothing to do with each other. They, they are just two completely different creation accounts that were uh, uh, juxtaposed at some uh, point uh, during the composition of the Pentateuch. And uh, since the entire tabernacle narrative in the book of Exodus belongs completely to the priestly source, uh, like Genesis uh, 1, the references between the seventh-day creation and the tabernacle are generally accepted. Uh, but since uh, Genesis 2 and 3 is said to be uh, from a different source, uh, references to Genesis 2 and 3 uh, to the tabernacle are usually not even sought. And uh, especially in the European context, more than in the American context, however, uh, more and more exegetes see that Genesis 2 and 3 refers uh, to Genesis 1 in many ways, uh, in theological ways, also in uh, language ways. So they also have kind of allusions to Genesis 1 uh, in formulations and that these uh, cannot possibly be two uh, independent texts. Um, but because the sources were always uh, separated from each other, this has led uh, to the fact that many now assume that Genesis 2 and 3 is a later addition to Genesis 1. Uh, for example, it is said, this is uh, what, what uh, Eckhart Otto from the University of Munich says, uh, that the priestly so uh, source uh, uh, or that in the priestly source, a uh, uh, story of the fall of man was missing. We just have the creation account and then later the story goes on and something happened in between, but we do not know what in the priestly source because uh, Genesis 3 and 4 belong to the non-priestly source. And uh, uh, therefore, it is not uh, at all understandable how it came from the good creation to the bad state of the earth. And therefore, he argues that the later author wrote Genesis 2 and 3 to close this plausibility gap of the P source. Uh, but my argument goes even further. Uh, Genesis uh, 2 and 3, in my view, is not simply a later edition that refers to Genesis 1, but the paradise narrative uh, with the Garden of Eden and with the fall belongs uh, logically and conceptually uh, as a continuation uh, of uh, Genesis 1. It, it, they belong together and uh, the texts are so strongly interwoven, I personally think uh, uh, in a theological and also in a linguistic way, 
uh, that I believe it is, it is impossible to separate them in any way, neither as two completely distinct sources, but also not, not as an original source with a later addition. Gotcha. Okay. And so um, for those that aren't familiar with it, can you give what are, you know, what are the best possible reasons to think that Genesis 1, 2 to 3, or Genesis 1 and then through 2, 3, what, what are those, um, what's in the text that makes people think that that refers to the tabernacle? Um, you, uh, if I understand you right, you are talking of the connections between the priestly Genesis account and the tabernacle, right? Yes. Um, I can maybe pick out uh, three points. Uh, the first is that in Exodus 24, verses uh, 15 to uh, 18, God's glory cloud appears on the top of the Mount Sinai and it remains there for six days. And uh, then on the seventh day, uh, God calls Moses into the cloud um, to show him the heavenly sanctuary. And after that, Moses is uh, to build the tabernacle in the earthly image of it. Um, and this is a direct back reference to Genesis 1. This uh, I can uh, name this as the first point. And the second point, this is the beginning of it, of the parallels. Uh, second point, I can uh, point to the conclusion. Uh, the uh, building of the tabernacle is concluded in Exodus uh, 39, uh, 23, with the words, uh, does all the work uh, of the tabernacle of me or of the tent of meeting was uh, finished or of the tabernacle was finished. And uh, this is exactly the same phrase that we find after the completion of the six-day creation, uh, does the heavens and the earth uh, were finished um, we have the, the same formulation for the finishing of the creation and of the tabernacle and thirdly in between when god first speaks to moses and when the bu building is finished um we have uh, instructions for the building of the tabernacle uh, uh, in seven speeches so god speaks uh, uh, seven times to moses and the seventh speech uh, is the instruction to keep the sabbath and all these parallels show that the tabernacle is a sort of a microcosmic uh, image of, of creation. Gotcha. Well said. Okay. And of course, there's other reasons. And um, I'll be doing a video soon that we can that'll go in really in detail. So that'll be good for people to watch. Um, so on the topic of Genesis 2, can you talk about why you think that mirrors Leviticus 9? Uh, yes, uh, f first, uh, I think it should be noted that Genesis 2 and 3, the paradise account, or how we can call it, because I don't think it's a second creation account, um, uh, it contains many tabernacle motifs. Um, the holy antechamber of the tabernacle um, is full of garden motifs, uh, starting with the menorah, uh, that symbolizes the tree of life. It's it's a tree with the seven arms, and they uh, it looks like a tree as it is described there. And then we have the shoe bread table that represents the yield of grain. 
So we have the fruits of the trees, the yields of the grain. Uh, and the, so we have a very clear garden image uh, in the tabernacle, in the, in the uh, um, antechamber. And uh, the holy antechamber in the tabernacle is also symbolically guarded by cherubim, which are also woven into the side walls and also into the entrance uh, curtains, uh, like the cherubim that guarded the Garden of Eden uh, after the fall. Uh, the priest in the sanctuary, uh, therefore, uh, cultically, when he enters the sanctuary, he cultically represents Adam uh, that uh, re-enters the Garden of Eden. And even the words in Genesis 2 that are used for Adam's um, uh, mission in the garden, that he shall serve and uh, uh, keep uh, it, uh, are otherwise used for the cultic service of priests and Levites. Uh, now, with regard to Leviticus 9, it is the case there that uh, in the first verse, uh, Leviticus 9.1, God begins, uh, or, or uh, the chapter begins with God calling Moses and Aaron on the eighth day, explicitly said, uh, after seven days of tabernacle consecration, uh, to begin their priestly service. And in the end of the chapter, uh, um, uh, they enter the tabernacle for the first time. And so uh, at the end of Genesis 1, the seven-day creation, if you then ask yourself what actually follows the seventh day, the answer is surely the eighth day follows the seventh day. And the eighth day um, is the day when the priests enter the uh, sanctuary for the first time. And this is exactly what happens in Genesis 2. Uh, when it uh, says uh, that uh, the Lord God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to serve and keep it, so we have this this parallel of the entering of the of the of the garden space or the holy space. Wow, that's very fascinating. I've never heard it like that. Uh, so, um, just a couple more things. So, I don't know if you mentioned this, but. Um, there, there's the mention of lest you die in Genesis 2 or maybe even 3, um, and that parallels Leviticus somehow. Could you talk about that just real quick? Um, I'm not sure in which places exactly we find the same formulation, but we have the same formulation both uh, in the in the com commandment uh, uh well, I, I think we have to say uh, God's first commandment, in fact, is, is the commandment, you may eat from all the trees. It's not you what, what you are not allowed to eat, but what you are allowed to eat first. And then, uh, uh, but from this uh, tree, you, you may not eat lest you die. There we have this formulation in T Genesis 2. And we find it certainly again in Leviticus 11, uh, where we have the... Um, the the uh, legislation on uh, allowed um, animals uh, to eat or not to eat, and um, eat eating um, the the, uh, the the wrong animals, I think, are also under this formulation. Lest you uh, lest you die, and there is uh, some uh, some um, relationship, I think, between the um, legislation on clean and unclean animals and what is allowed to eat and the uh, the, the fruit from the uh, tree um, that is also forbidden. So we see also that um, 
uh, eating commandments are very important. Um, uh, the, the first commandments all are related to eating. I, th I think personally this is because man is created to join the table of God and therefore um, uh, eating commandments are the most important commandments. And in fact, we even find uh, allusions then uh, when Eve takes the, the fruit, it is um, uh, formulated not just she ate the fruit, but she took it and ate it. Uh, take take and eat. These are is the same combination of verbs that then Jesus will use for the supper when he he say, says um, take and eat, and uh, so uh, by eating the wrong wrong thing, um, uh, death came to people. But by eating uh, the body of Christ and by drinking His blood, in a context where uh, we have an absolute. Uh, um, 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 uh, for for a commandment that forbids to eat blood in Israel. So eating blood is one, one of the most wor uh, um, worse things Israelites can do. And but 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 it is the the, the Lord's supper is something like the opposite uh, to the to this first uh, fruit and life comes also back uh, by by something that is uh, eaten uh, uh, in a relationship with a commandment of God. Yes. So you mentioned the, um, how the, the Levites weren't supposed to eat certain things. Um, I was kind of mentioning uh, Leviticus 10.6, where it says, After the dead of Nebed and Abihu, Moses reminds Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar not to go outside the entrance of the, tent of, me outside the, entrance of, the tent of meeting, lest you die. Um, oh, okay. Is there, another, is there another reference that talks about lest you die? Yes, yes. Uh, I think I uh, already forgot this again, but but yes, you are right. I have written about this uh, too, and uh, this refers to. Um, but but the things are also related to each other. Um, uh, sacred food uh, and sacred space, um, because uh, Adam and Eve are then also driven out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, that they may not eat from the fruit of the tree of life. So. It's not not primarily about the space, but about uh, uh, what they could eat there, and so they are not allowed to enter the garden anymore because they are not allowed to eat the tree of life uh, anymore after the fall. And uh, yes, I think in uh, in uh, Leviticus ten we have this um, formulation with regard to entering the presence of God, and we have then uh, uh, Leviticus ten tells us how. God's presence is not allowed to enter, and the opposite is then uh, in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, and this begins with remembering what happened to Nadab and Abihu. So um, it takes up the story of Leviticus uh, 10 uh, and uh, uh, explains then uh, when and how um, Aaron may enter the presence of God. And between these two things, between Leviticus 10 and 16, um, the, how, how it is forbidden to enter and how it is um, commanded to enter the presence of God, we have um, chapters 11 to 15 with uh, cleanness uh, legislation about what to eat, about um, um, leprosy and, and all these things. Great. And regarding Genesis 3, how does that mirror Leviticus 10? 
Um, Leviticus 10 tells us a story of uh, Nadab and Abihu, uh, two of the sons of Aaron and therefore priests, and they lay their hands on the holy thing and they die instantly. It is not very clear set there what they did, uh, but uh, certainly they uh, laid their hands on something what was holy, what was not allowed. Uh, for them and it is emphasized then that when they die within the holy uh, uh, antechamber their bodies are carried out uh, from the sanctuary in their garments um, in their clothes and this has a direct uh, analogy in genesis 3 uh, adam and eve reach uh, for the fruit that god said uh, if you will eat it then you will die um, they don't drop that, but they must leave the realm of the tree of life and enter the realm of death. And um, after the fall, they realize that they are naked and they are ashamed. And even before God drives them out of the garden, he makes garments for them in which they then must leave the garden. So they are clothed before they leave the garden. And the word that is used, the Hebrew word for their garments, is otherwise used in the Pentateuch only for uh, Joseph's beautiful garment. And I think this has also priestly allusions, but this would be another discussion maybe. And, and it is used for the priestly garments. So only Adam and Eve, Joseph and the priests uh, have this kind of garments and uh, then in exodus uh, both uh, exodus 20 26 and also exodus 28 42 emphasize that priests must not enter the presence of god naked uh, um, and therefore i think leviticus 10 reflects the story from genesis 3 where a man violates what is sacred and is punished with that, and his nakedness then has to be clothed. You have the mention of the walking in the garden. I know a lot of scholars don't think it should be like like you had a literal God walking in the garden. Can you talk about like what you thought that meant, and as well as how that kind of is a reference to the Levit Leviticus? The walking of God in the garden. Um, yes, uh, we we find this is a, this is a, um, a formulation that God walks is not often used. Um, we have it in uh, Genesis three eight after the fall when God uh, enters the garden and He walks uh, in in the garden, um, and we have it again in Leviticus uh, twenty six uh, as a promise um, in th these blessings and curse session. Session, uh, sections uh, that uh, that God will walk among Israel, um, combined with the promise of His tabernacle, that that His His uh, His um, uh, His uh, Mishkan, uh, His, his uh, holy place will be among among um, uh, Israel. We have this combination, and um, what it means. There is a very interesting formulation in Genesis three eight. Um, uh, God came and then uh, it is often um, translated in the coolness of the evening or something like this in the evening breeze. 
and uh, then we have the image that God is an old man and the day is too hot for him. He may not come into the garden when the sun is uh, on the top and then in the evening when it uh, gets a bit colder, um, he can enter the garden. But the Hebrew form formulation is uh, le ruach hayom. Uh, this means, um, in fact, a, a verbal translation would be God uh, walked into the garden as the spirit of the day is the, the uh, verbal uh, translation. Uh, and uh, we, we find, for example, the same for, or a, a similar formulation in the book of Isaiah that God uh, will act as the spirit of uh, judgment. And uh, uh, as far as I understand it, uh, this tells us that God uh, does not come with a body. He walks, but not as a body, but as a spirit. As a spiritual being, he enters the garden and uh, the spirit of the day uh, might refer back. This is one of these details that might refer back to Genesis 1, where God called the the, uh, the light day and the um, the night, uh, the, 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 the darkness he called night. So the spirit of the day is also the spirit of light. Um, Adam and Eve are hiding um, uh, in the trees because they want not to be seen by God, but God comes as the spirit of the day, as the spirit of light, as the spirit of judgment also. And his, uh, his eyes that uh, shine, his light uh, will go through the trees and find Adam and Eve. This is how I would understand it. So the formulation God walked as the spirit uh, would already imply he is not an old man who comes there and uh, is uh, somewhat tired, but he comes as a, as a spirit because God is a spirit. Uh, yes, this is, very, this very is how, how, how I understand it. Fascinating. Okay. And now Genesis 4. So that talks about, um, you know, the sacrificing with Cave and Abel. And, uh, uh, maybe I can uh, add something to, to what I said before. Excuse me. Okay. Um, I think uh, um, uh, to um, understand the essence of priestly ministry, we must uh, see what is in the tabernacle. Um, we have, I already mentioned this, the, the menorah and the shoebread. Um, and they symbolize fruit and grain. And uh, the shoebread is on a table, what also um, uh, shows that man is invited uh, to the table of God. So the, the, the sense of it is uh, God, God brings them in the garden and uh, tells to them, uh, see, I have given this uh, for you to eat. And the altar of burnt offerings, the, this will also lead us then to Genesis uh, 4. Uh, the altar of burnt offerings, on the other hand, is outside of the tabernacle um, in uh, the for court or um, courtyard. I'm, I'm not sure which is the most appropriate word of it. Um, and it does not belong in the room of life, the altar, but uh, in the room of death. And uh, it, I think it's important to understand that sacrifice uh, is not the actual task of the priest. So Adam and Eve were not created to sacrifice um, um, blood offerings, but it only comes into play after the priest is expelled from the tabernacle. And um, uh, Moses and uh, Aaron um, are not allowed, in, again, in, in uh, Leviticus 9, to enter the tabernacle in Leviticus uh, 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 until uh, they have made the, the first uh, sacrifice. Uh, this means that the, uh, the need for sacrifice is a consequence of the fall. 
And therefore, it is logical that in the Bible, the first sacrifice takes place in Genesis 4. Maybe this is uh, where you all, where, where you wanted to ask also your next question. Um, um, uh, and Cain and uh, Abel, the sons of uh, Adam, uh, offered the first sacrifice uh, east of the garden by the entrance and uh, just as in the tabernacle, the, the uh, altar of burnt offerings is in front of the entrance of the tabernacle and also in the east because the, the Holy of Holies is in the west and then the steps, uh, every step is a step eastward. Yes. So, sorry, maybe I already uh, said something you wanted to ask, uh, but I, I think because uh, this uh, this relationship also with Genesis 4 shows that, that uh, burnt offerings uh, are uh, uh, just a task that is given due to sin, but this is not the main task of priests. The priest shall be in the space of life and they only uh, bring the sacrifices to enter uh, the room and to do their priestly service in the holy part and not in the courtyard. Yes. Is that all you had to say about Genesis 4? Uh, yes, maybe. I. Yeah, yes, I think so. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, obviously, you know, a pattern like this is, is very powerful. It doesn't seem like it's just a coincidence, uh, but that makes, you know, things like that t typically in life, things like that don't happen just a coincidence. So that's going to make people think, okay, maybe it's, you know, one story was made up or, um, Genesis one to four didn't actually happen, or maybe, the the passages in Leviticus didn't happen, or they're both made up. What does this say about the, the historicity, the reliability of the text? Um, personally, I think it speaks neither for nor against the historicity. Um, one can read references between the creation and uh, between creation and the sanctuary also in two directions. One can either read uh, from uh, sanctuary to creation, start with the sanctuary, and this would then mean the Israelites they know the tabernacle service, and uh, on basis of their service in the tabernacle, creation is explained to them. Um, uh, during the service, they shall learn what creation is, uh, also who uh, man is, and uh, why he has lost uh, access to the sanctuary, uh, and so on. But one can also read from start with creation uh, and uh, read from creation to the sanctuary, and uh, this is of course the natural reading direction of the Pentateuch. Creation is not presented then as a sanctuary, but rather the sanctuary later on is an image of creation. Um, uh, creation comes first, and God gives instructions as to how Israel. Uh, should ritually participate in a cosmic event in its uh, uh, worship service. And uh, therefore, I think one can think differently about the historicity of Genesis 1 to 4 or also on the historicity uh, of the tabernacle account and still follow my reading strategy. So, uh, yes, I, I, I don't think that it can contribute much to this, to the question of historicity, just to the question of composition of the Pentateuch. Okay, so someone like John Walton has said that, you know, Genesis 1 describes God creating his, or his consecrating his cosmic temple, inaugurating. Um, 
do you take a view like that or do you think it's something different? Um, I think as far as I know the work of John Walton, I have read some of it and I think we are uh, not so uh, far from each other. So I, I think um, uh, my thoughts are close to his thoughts. I also have some differences in uh, in the understanding of creation, uh, especially I think my main difference with him is uh, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And I think uh, uh, heaven is the, uh, uh, this is the first act, in fact, of creation. And heaven is the invisible world and earth is the visible world. And uh, therefore, I still think, and there is also more recent research that goes in this direction. But of course, it's still the minority position uh, that uh, we have something like uh, Creatio ex nihilo in Genesis 1.1, but uh, I think this does not directly relate now to uh, the question you asked. And I think in, in these um, uh, uh, questions, I am close to John Walton. Very fascinating, very fascinating. Maybe we'll have to talk about that sometime else. Um, yes, maybe. <laughs> uh, so in regards to um, Adam and Eve, um, you know, some people have... You know, the text doesn't really say, you know, Genesis 1 to 4 doesn't really say how long they were in the garden. Does does this view, I mean, does this view would mean that, you know, all these events like happen really quickly? Or does this tell us at all about how, how quickly they happened? Um, I can't think of anything in the text that suggests that. Um, and also um, between Leviticus 9 and 10, we have the same situation. And uh, also there it is unclear to me how much time has passed. So um, uh, it could be implied that it is just at the same day, so very close to each other. But I don't think that this uh, is that it is necessary to read it this way. So I, I don't know. Okay, cool. Um... So you mentioned the that uh, you know Adam and Eve and Moses something about the garments that they only have the garments. Um, you said that you, you know we might not have enough time, but it seems like we have a lot of time actually. Uh, could you is, is it, would you be able to talk about that a little bit more? The garments. Yeah, you, you said something about um, that, like something like only Moses had the, the specific garments. Uh, no, Joseph. Joseph, okay. Yeah. Um, th this, this word for the garments is used uh, uh, only when God makes garments for Adam and Eve, and it is used many times for the priests, also for the high priest, and in addition to that, it is also um, used for this beautiful garment that, um, uh, that Joseph wears, and Joseph therefore is then um, thrown into the, um, into the hole by his, uh, his brothers. And I think there is also some priestly conception in the Joseph story also with his dreams. We have then also the grain and the star images and so, but I did not uh, really invest many research into this. I just realized that at several points um, also um, uh, in, for Joseph, we see that he has uh, the Ruach of Adonai, the Spirit of the Lord, and he has wisdom, therefore, this, uh, we, the combination we also find in Exodus uh, 31 uh, with the 
uh, workers that built the tabernacle. So there are uh, uh, several connections, I think, also be between Joseph and um, um, priestly concepts and thoughts, but I cannot uh, say a lot about it because I did not uh, really uh, do some research on it. There is just well, something there in the text. Yes. We'll, we'll add to the list of things to talk about. <laughs> um, so, so um, a big complaint that people have regarding you know this type of view is that you know it, it never actually says that <clears throat> you know Genesis one you know or even Genesis one to four has anything to do with the tabernacle. It doesn't say anything about a building. Um, do you think that is a reason not to take this view? Uh, no, I think this is a modern rationalistic uh, view on it. And um, I, I try always to explain it uh, in this way also to my student. There was a, an important change between ancient times, uh, not only um, not only uh, biblical uh, uh, things, but also um, uh, uh the whole um ancient near east also also i think even the greek uh, people and so the, the ancients and uh, the modern times and this is uh, i think everything has to do with the question of the relationship between um i hope i say it correctly in in english uh, uh, the relationship between matter and spirit and yep. what is first and the ancients were convinced that spirit is first and that spirit forms matter. And uh, uh, he, he, he uh, also brings order into chaotic matter. He gives sense to matter. And this means that the whole world that we find with, with trees, with flowers, with stones, with whatever, everything has meaning because the meaning is in the things uh, formed by a spirit. The spirit, of course, in the Bible is called God, um, but uh, you can also take the uh, ideas of, of Platonic view or whatever. And this changed in the modern times. And we think now um, matter has the priority and spirit is a form of complex matter. And therefore, we think that matter is matter the right word. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. physical okay. matter. Yeah. Yes. OK, uh, matter. Um, uh, we we think, and I think even uh, uh, believers or Christians um, have have this point of view because we we uh, rose up with this that um, matter has uh, no sense at all until we give sense to it. This is the constructivism, and um, uh, therefore um, uh, what what we find between. Um, between uh, different uh, kinds of uh, matters or, or what is the meaning of it is just what we construct out of it. But the ancients would have so, have uh, uh, said that you, uh, if you take a rose or you take a tul tulip, uh, uh, these are two different things and two different meanings. Um, but today we would say uh, there is just a, me a sense or a meaning that we gave to the flowers. And... Uh, um, because because the ancients um, believed that there is meaning in the creation in everything that we see that we can touch that we we uh, can see feel with our our senses um, uh, there is a lot there are a lot of things in the texts that are not explicitly formulated um, so this is a world um, of symbols also where um, 
things are related to each other. I hope I'm still online. I just lost the picture, but uh, yeah, you're good. Yep. Okay, and and th therefore, um, um, we we tend to um to read the text and say if it is not explicitly in the text, it is not there at all. But there is a complete world behind the text, and we just can see uh, this that in the fact uh, that um in many other places in the Bible or also in uh, in Jewish writings from the Second Temple period, so uh, Jewish writings prior to um, to, Christ, uh, to, to the New Testament and also in the New Testament that they see these things that are not explicitly in the text and uh, um, modern scholars then often say uh, uh, this is just a later interpretation but maybe they just make explicit what was clear for them to, to just give an example um, the menorah tree of life relationship uh, it is not explicitly there in Genesis 2 and also not explicitly in the uh, Exodus texts where the menorah is built, but for example, in the book of Revelation of John in the uh, writing to the Ephesians in uh, chapter two, uh, Revelation chapter two, that this writing starts with a reverence uh, to, uh, the, uh, to Jesus who has uh, the seven lights in his hands and it ends that uh, who, um, uh, who overcomes uh, will uh, receive the fruit of life. So we have there an enclosure between the um, between the menorah and the tree of life, and we see there clearly. We also see this in in uh, ancient Jewish writings that the menorah was, uh, was understood as as tree of life, obviously, but it is not explicitly uh, neither in the text where the tree of life is introduced nor in the text where the menorah is intro introduced but but for everybody who who reads the text uh, of the menorah where god says how it shall be built um it is very clear that it is a tree and 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 uh, which tree is in the sacred space so yes but i think uh, we must learn again uh, to uh see not only what is in the text, but also what is uh, implicitly in the text. Yeah, I hope this was uh, understandable from the argument. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you're making that conclusion based on uh, parts of the text, but also later parts of the Bible. And I would also assume places outside the Bible, like uh, inter intertestamental period, but also like didn't the Egyptians and the Babylonians, didn't they see the the world as some type of temple is that right uh yes yes gotcha and um do you know of any um examples off the top of your head that you know would make us come to that conclusion that they thought that as well um in uh, the article that uh, uh was the uh, um the reason for this talk i i present one picture uh, of the palace of uh, Simri Lim. This is, uh, I think, uh, if I have it right in mind, 16th century BC. So in the second millennium, um, in the first half of the second millennium BC, uh, in, in Zimri, uh, Zimri Lim in Mari? Yes, Simri Lim in. 18th century. 18th, okay, Th thank you. So I had it wrong, in, but it's still uh, in, the, in the first half of the. Uh, second millennium BC, and uh, we have there a picture with a two-roomed house, uh, something like the, the the inner sanctuary and the outer sanctuary, and then we have uh, in the in the 
former room we have goddesses uh, with a jug where uh, a stream flows out and uh, divides into four arms as we have it in the Eden narrative and then we have uh, trees on both sides uh, of the of the stream as we for example has have um in the uh, Ezekiel temple or also in the book of Revelation we also find this in the uh, Solomonic temple where we have not one menorah but uh, a row of uh, or two rows of five and these um, uh, these uh, um, lampstands they represent uh, obviously the trees that are on, on both sides of the stream so we have uh, many images I think um, from not only from uh, Mari, which was a, a kingdom somewhere, um, uh, I, th I say, um, between Syria and the, and the northern part of Mesopotamia. We, we also have uh, pictures from Mesopotamia. Uh, we have texts also from Ugarit, for example. So, yes, I think this is quite a, a common point of view in, in the ancient Near East. Yes. Also, the, 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 gar the garden sanctuary. Uh, or that 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 a sanctuary or also a palace has a garden that that uh, is uh, prior to the entrance of the of the throne room from from the king or from the of from the gods. Yeah, um, something I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are. So, you mentioned in your paper about you know the the selim, the image of God. Um, you know that's obviously typically um, put in a temple. Um, and, you know, humans are made in the image of God. Um, but then later, uh, you know, it talks about, um, well, in Catherine McDowell's book that you cited, it talks about the Mis Pipi, uh, I might be pronouncing that wrong, and how that could be a reference in Genesis 2 to 4. Uh, do you think the same lines? Like, do you think that um, plays into your idea of the image of God at all? Uh, yes, this is a this is a nice book of uh, Catherine McDowell, uh, where she also shows, uh, in some sense, that uh, Genesis one and Genesis two belong together, because uh, in the documentary hypothesis, it was also argued earlier on uh, that the the concept of uh, man's image of God is only found in the priestly narrative, but not in the non-priestly or yavistic and she shows that in genesis 2 we uh, it is full of of um, image of god um symbolism but again it is not explicitly said um but but um um this um uh, pitpi uh, for example in uh, we we have rituals in both in mesopotamia and in egypt with uh, uh, statues of gods and um uh, they they uh, receive some uh, in some sense in in a in a ritual the, the breath of life their eyes are opened uh, they receive some food and uh, we have a couple of parallels there between uh, Adam and Eve um, some of these rituals also take place in in the garden uh, in the garden so not in the in the temple itself but in the garden that is uh, in the entrance uh, room of the uh, um, temple and uh, yeah we have have uh, many parallels and uh, this um shows uh, of course this is a motif that that plays a role also later than in the in the old in the old testament and in the in the faith of israel that um uh, there shall not be built uh, statues that represent god and images um but uh, god made his own image 
uh, um, that uh, shall re uh, this image, uh, we are this image and we shall represent this glory. So it, it does not need um, um, some handmade uh, images of God. Yeah. Very, very fascinating. Um, one more thought, and um, then we actually might be able to wrap up here. Uh, for the, you know, you mentioned, you know, going east, um, you know, that kind of describes them taking steps um, in different portions of the temple in regard to Genesis 1 to 4. Um, but then there's other mentions of going east and the rest of Genesis. There's, I think it's like 7 or 10. Um, is that, at that point, I mean, are they going out even further from the temple or is that just a like a metaphor for something else or do you have any thoughts on that uh yes i i think the the whole uh, sanctuary concept in the bible um uh, has uh, um in a sense uh, two antagonistic rooms namely the room of life and the room of death um, it's about life and death, and uh, uh, God Himself is the source of life. So the holiest of holy uh, is is the room of life, and life streams out from God. So um, um, holiness, as I understand it, is uh, basically it is uh, um, life force or something like that. And on the other side, we have um, uh, death and the power of death. Uh, with the uncleanness, uh, where uh, if you touch a car carcass or something like this, then you, you become unclean. And uh, these are um, at, at both uh, ends of the of the room, so to say. And um, every step eastwards in Genesis is a step closer to the uh, room of death. Um, and also in the sanctuary, of course, we have the Holy of Holies, we have the Holy Antechamber, we have the courtyard. But then if we go outside, we have a ring in the camp with the priests and Levites, and we have the next ring with the 12 tribes. And then we have uh, uh, the, the, the uh, outside of the camp, this is the, um, the wilderness, and this is the place of death, uh, in fact. And also at the, at the Day of Atonement, they shall... Uh, the, the uh, the sin goat, or I'm not sure about uh, the correct English word, uh, that is uh, driven out of the camp and it goes eastward to the to the um, to the wilderness and uh, dies there as, as an uh, um, sent to Azazel, as it is called in in Leviticus 16. And uh, <coughs> in Genesis, uh, it starts already with Eden, and the garden is built in the east of Eden. So uh, the garden is not identical with Eden, but Eden is the place where God dwells, and this place has a garden, and uh, uh, God uh, builds a garden east of Eden and puts men into this garden. It's like in Jerusalem, uh, you have the ancient uh, city, and east of Jerusalem, uh, you have the Garden Gethsemane. Uh, it belongs to Jerusalem, but it is still outside the walls. And then uh, um, uh, Adam and Eva are driven out into the east. This is then the room east of Eden and east of the garden where Cain and uh, Abel built their uh, altar. Uh, then when Cain killed uh, uh, Abel, he's again, uh, um, he has to uh, leave into the east. So he goes further east. And uh, uh, even later, um, the Tower of Babel is again further east. And I think we have it another uh, time than uh, between um, Abraham and Lot, where they choose their 
lands and uh, it's it's an interesting play there because um in the primeval history the garden is uh, in the west and the wilderness is in the east in the abraham and lot story um the fruitful land is in the east and um the promised land which is less fruitful is in the west and um lot looks what the eyes show and he goes to the east but this will be then the place the city of sodom again we find this in in the book of exodus where um um uh egypt represents uh the fullness of life with with the nil stream and with with uh enough to eat and then israel has to leave the garden and to go into the wilderness and god uh, um uh, reveals himself in the wilderness in in uh in another tree that represents in some sense the tree of life uh, the, the burning uh, bush um uh, and uh, so we see after the sinful um, that the gardens uh, that are created by man can also be illusions from the real garden and you have to leave them and wait until uh, God brings you back into the uh, true garden. But I think this this East motif is very clear that there and of course you also have it in the promised land because they co come from East or if you leave the promised land you uh, leave uh, you enter the jordan and uh, on the other side of the jordan you have left it this is also in the in the east so we have geographical uh, things we have things in the stories in in genesis and in other books yes it's it's an important concept and it's also interesting uh, because all temples uh, the tabernacle the solomonic temple the ezekiel temple they all all look westwards um the holy of holies is always in the west uh, uh in in uh, as far as i know i'm not uh, I, I do not know anything about uh, everything i know something about it but not everything i think uh, the the temples in the ancient near east were usually uh, oriented to the east to the rising sun but uh israel uh shows the rising sun it's back and looks uh to God because uh, the sun is only again we have this in the in Genesis 1 it the sun is not God it is only a lamp that God puts uh, on the on the sky and therefore they shall not pray to the sun but they shall uh, leave the rising sun in their back and look to uh, to God and uh, in Ezekiel uh, 8 uh, one of the sins why uh, God will leave the temple and why uh, um, the Babylonians will destroy the temples because uh, they uh, Ezekiel sees a group of people uh, with the back to the temple and praying to the sun. So they are praying again uh, eastwards. Yeah, it's a it's a, a motive that we find uh, in many places. Awesome. You know, this has been really great. I'm sure a lot of people got a lot, got a lot out of this. Um, thank you for coming on here. Is there any places you have your YouTube channel? You have books. Um, you have your paper. Um, could you um, refer the people to them? Um, yes, my I have a YouTube channel that I call Lectio Continua, which means that I explain just the Bible um, from the beginning on in small steps. But it is in Ger in German, of course. Uh, if somebody understands German, you are very welcome to watch it, or you can also uh, use the subtitles uh, and watch it in German, but uh, read the English subtitles. Uh, maybe I can also um, point to my page on uh, Academia. Um, point at you um, 
E D U, um, uh, where uh, I have many of my articles. Um, many of them also in English, uh, the, the, the academic articles mainly that can be read there if somebody is interested. Very, very cool. All right. Thank you for coming on here, Dr. Kilgore. Uh, we yes. really appreciate it and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you for the invitation and thank you to all who are interested in this stuff. Thank you.